morning, everybody. Uh, great to see you. Thanks for coming. Uh, man, uh, the, the attendance over the last few Sundays, you know, through January have been really, really special. And so thanks for just being here, being patient, trying to find a seat and, and working to make this gathering special. It really is special when you're here. And so it, it matters that we're all together and what we're getting to do and study God's word and worship. And so I wasn't sure what this week would look like, uh, that we would be able to meet, but I'm, I'm so glad we did. So uh, good job on braving, braving the last four or five days. And uh, maybe you just, you, you needed to see some people today. You, you were having some uh, some COVID flashbacks over the last few weeks. They're like, I got to get out. I, I got I to gotta see some people. One observation I noticed, something about my Publix, uh, close to my neighborhood, people out there don't like English muffins. I don't know about that, but as you look at the bread shelves, like everything was gone except English muffins. So those are still available in the Hampton Cove Publix if you are looking for those. Uh, I get to uh, clean up uh, uh, something from last week quickly. When you're teaching a lot, every now and then you, you have to revisit last week and go like, hey, I want to clarify a point. Uh, I want to uh, kind of correct something. And the thing that I want to address from last week's sermon, if you were here, was a story that I told about my youngest daughter uh, spending all of her tuition money uh, and kind of squandering it away. So I thought when I shared that story that I said the word imagine. And what I realized through the course of the day, especially when I got home, that she looked at me and she was like, Dad, like people really think that I spent my tuition money uh, and didn't just kind of, you know, was irresponsible all semester. I was like, really? You think that people really thought that? And she is right uh, because I was leaving church uh, last week and this really special, wonderful family that was just visiting the church for the first time came up to me and said, hey, we just really appreciate your transparency. I was like, really, really? They said, you, you shared that really intimate, kind of difficult moment within your family, and that really meant a lot to us. And I said, thank you. Like, I was like, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, I realized that there was probably a little work to do on this story. So uh, my daughter, Sarah, makes really good grades. Uh, <laughs> She's the least expensive child that I've had go through college so far. So I just, I need to clarify that so that she doesn't get looks of concern continually uh, from her church family. <laughs> Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21 is where we're going to be, verse 18. Uh, and as we jump into this passage, let, let me remind you that we've been in this section of Matthew of Jesus going into Jerusalem for the triumphal entry. He's cleansed the temple, turning over tables. And then we get this, I would say it's, a, it's an odd passage. And so I want you to see that it is part of something Matthew is continuing to weave through Matthew 21. And so it is not disconnected from some things that we've already talked about. So look, with this, look, look at this passage with me. It says in verse 18, in the morning, Jesus... As, he's, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. He said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, truly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. So Matthew's gospel records 
the triumphal entry, right? It's this moment where Jesus is heading into Jerusalem on a donkey. There are hosannas being uh, offered out, God save us. Palm branches are being waved. Coats are being laid down on the ground. Jesus makes this entry in, and he is really being heralded and recognized as Israel's Messiah, long-awaited king. Right? That's what's happening with the triumphal entry. He makes his way from that moment into the temple. And if you remember last week, he goes into the temple and he begins flipping over tables. He begins, it's called cleansing the temple. And he runs out the money changers and all those selling sacrifices. And then we get, he's hungry, sees a fig tree. So there's no figs on it and something about moving mountains. So what, what's happening in this passage? What, what what a curious passage. And it gets even more interesting when you look at Mark chapter 11, verse 13. It is a, it's a record of the same event, but Mark even adds a curious detail. He says, and seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves for it was not the season for figs. So it's not even the season for figs. And Jesus is going to a tree, sees nothing on it, gets upset, curses it, judges it, and so what's happening in this passage? How do we, how do we make sense of this? What, what's, the, what's the significance and the purpose? And so there, there are two things I want you to see at first I want to discuss. One is uh, tuquash, and the second is temple. Tuquash, T-A-Q-S-H, tuquash, and temple. These two things are going to help us understand the significance of what's going on. When Jesus came to Jerusalem, we understand that it is the festival and celebration of Passover, Passover occurred in early spring. So Jesus is making his way into Jerusalem during early spring. And as he makes his way to this fig tree, in early spring, fig trees didn't produce figs. Figs came later in the year, early summer and then early fall. So it's too early for figs. Mark's gospel highlights that. Jesus also knows that. Jesus is not unaware that it's too early for figs. But what he was looking for was something called tuquash. Now, tuquash was a uh, uh, kind of an edible little nub that grows on fig trees, and it grows in this early season, in early spring. And it's something that you could eat. It's something that people walking by, peasants, travelers, could see a fig tree in early spring. They could go over there. They could grab something. They could eat. So that's what Jesus is looking for. It's something that passerbyers could eat, but nothing, right? We realize nothing is on the tree. There's nothing on the tree to eat. The tree has leaves, but no fruit. And the absence of tuquash also meant that there were going to be no figs. It, 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 was, a, it was a kind of a precursor to figs. And so if there wasn't a tuquash on the tree in that kind of a March, April timeframe, you weren't going to get figs in June. You weren't going to get figs in August and September, right? So this tree even though it's full of foliage, is fruitless. So take that, and then let's, let's kind of revisit the temple. What Jesus has experienced when he walked in the temple and he cleansed it. And the passage is going to grow in significance because remember, last week when we talked about Passover in the temple, we were reminding ourselves of just the, this great pilgrimage that people were making, this great freedom movement, this celebration of the Exodus and what God did to bring Israel out of Egypt into freedom and ultimately into the promised land. And so people are celebrating this Passover experience. Uh, Jerusalem, maybe it has about 80,000 people in population during the year. Another 100,000 are added during this particular celebration and pilgrimage. And all of those people at some point make their way into the temple. The temple with this 
amazing complex. There wasn't anything else like it. And it was about 35 acres in area. And at the very center of it was the Holy of Holies. Right in the middle was this small cube, the Holy of Holies, where God's presence dwelt. And from that, it kind of built out in these almost kind of concentric triangles and rectangles, right? They were kind of these, these boxes that kind of built out around the Holy of Holies. And from the Holy of Holies, you had the court of priests where the priests worked, they were active, they, uh, the sacrifices were given there. A little bit larger, a little bit further was the court of Israel. And that's where the, the Israelite men would go. A little bit larger outside of that was the court of women. And so every time you'd kind of go into the court so you would go like further and further and further and you get you know, closer into the God's presence. But this larger court that was really the majority of the temple was the court of the Gentiles. It was this larger expanse. And in that was where the money was changed. In that is when, where the animal sacrifices were given. And the money was changed, if you remember this, because people were traveling, foreigners from all over the world were coming and they were bringing currency that had depictions and Im- images of other faiths, other gods, and you couldn't receive, the temple couldn't receive something with a graven image of another god or another faith. So that currency had to be exchanged for something that was acceptable within the temple. And there was a little bit of money to be made in that. So these money changers were present. These people who were selling sacrifices were present. And, and they also were on standby kind of waiting. It was kind of nice. You could travel, make your pilgrimage to Jerusalem, didn't have to worry about kind of caring for your sacrifice. You could just buy it at the temple. It was there waiting on you. But all of that happened, all that activity happened within the court of the Gentiles, that larger court where foreigners came, where non-Jews came. And in this court, there must have been tens of thousands of animals, hundreds of priests in attendance. It's like a small city in this space, buying, selling, trading. I'll also say that there wasn't another place in the world like Jerusalem. I mean, Jerusalem. I mean, there wasn't another temple. uh, There wasn't another place, uh, uh, kind of a house of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so if you were looking to meet God, if you were hungry for an encounter with your creator, this is the place that you came. In all the world, it was Jerusalem. It was the Temple Mount. This is where you came if you were spiritually hungry, if you were looking for God, if you were seeking him, you came to the temple. And when the temple is the backdrop of this lesson of the fig tree, right, all of a sudden things begin to come forward for us. And this is what we begin to see. Jesus found nothing on the tree, nothing but leaves, In other words, the leaves gave an indication that there was something there, there was life, there was vitality, but there wasn't. It looks like it's ready to meet a need, but it's fruitless. There isn't anything there. I can remember a moment where I said, hey, let's get something out tonight. Um, I'll go place your orders. I didn't want to do kitchen duty. So I was like, hey, I'm taking orders. I'm going to head to the restaurant. You guys vote, you pick. And so the family voted. I was in the car a few minutes later and about seven, eight minutes, I'm in the drive-through with my order ready to go. There's a couple cars in front of me. No worries. I wait. 
five minutes go by, cars haven't moved. And when you're kind of in a drive-thru, you expect some motion, you expect some things to be happening. And I don't know if you're like, I'm like, what's that front car doing? Because you just begin to ask some questions. I'll even like roll down my window just slightly so I can just kind of eavesdrop on like, are they ordering? Are they talking? Are they paying attention? Is the attendant talking to them? Is this a carload of teenagers where it's like six people with six different orders? Like what's happening here? 10 minutes go by, but finally the car moves forward. Great, progress. That car moves forward. There's one car in front of me. Another 10 minutes go by, 20 minutes now. I've been waiting in the drive-thru and you start to say things like, Lord, why are you doing this to me? My life is like, my life is empty. Like it's, I'm dying, right? It has no purpose. Like I need this to go forward. I need something to happen here. Nothing. This thing, one car in 20 minutes. And I realized like, I'm never going to get my food here. So I, I make that angry pull out, right? Where I'm in line, where I pull out a line and I can drive around the perimeter of the restaurant. I'm just like, I just want to eyeball somebody, some worker kind of show some dissatisfaction. Or I just kind of look at them angrily as I drive by. But I'm like, you know what? Maybe this is a drive-through problem. I'm going to pull in and go into the restaurant and order face-to-face. I'm going to find out what's going on. So I park the car. I walk in. There's two people in there and they're all looking down at their receipts and they're mumbling. And I walk up to the lady and I'm like, hey, um, how long have y'all been waiting? And she says, you need to leave. <laughs> she says, they have our money. You still have a chance. I'm like, okay. I just, I got in the car and I left. Here's, that restaurant was open, but they weren't. Right? There's lights, there's cars, there's people, a lot of activity, but there's no food. But that's what's, that's, what, that's what's happening. They're open, but they're not. And this is what Jesus is upset about the fig tree. He, Jesus isn't just grumpy in this moment. Jesus sees a tree that is showing all the signs that it is open and available to meet a need. And when he goes to it, there's nothing there. It is this apparent health. It beckons with false advertising. The tree becomes a metaphor. The tree becomes a metaphor of what Jesus has been experiencing in the temple. The temple. It was the most sacred place in the world. It, it, it kinda, the temple was characterized in this way that it was this, on the mount and on Jerusalem, it, it's like the earth had ascended just enough to where heaven descended and this is the place where heaven and earth touched. That was the picture. It's, it's the place where Israel believed that Abraham had been commissioned, had been instructed to sacrifice Isaac on this, on this spot. Some Jewish traditions hold that it's the place where Jacob had a dream, where this giant causeway between heaven and earth was active with angels ascending and descending. It was the temple, this mount. In Genesis chapter 12, God gives Abraham kind of a commissioning, and he says, through you, all the nations will be blessed. Through you, Abraham, through you, that God would purpose Abraham's descendants, purpose them within the world to bless the world. So the temple was to be ready. The temple was to be open and ready for a searching world, a place where Gentiles and foreigners who were searching for God, who were hungry for prayer, who wanted to have faith could come, a place for the spiritually hungry, for their needs to be met. And when Jesus enters the temple, he finds none of that, right? It's no longer helpful. It, it's not a place that's welcoming the world. It's just a worldly place. 
with buying and selling, commission, no prayer, no worship, just activity and noise, a place for politics, a place for social gatherings, a place for buying, for selling, for trading. The world, it, it, it couldn't worship among the merchants. The world couldn't pray surrounded by the noise of the animals. And Jesus, you know what? Jesus, Jesus starts flipping tables. He puts the whole place on notice. He pauses all the activity within the temple in this moment. I believe it was that moment that actually had Jesus killed. It's that, it's, that's what's going to happen. Jesus did something so significant. Jesus turns over all the tables and stops it all. It's like the best episode ever of Undercover Boss. Jesus shows up. You know the show, right? It's the boss. It's the owner of the company. And he kind of shows up as a kind of low-level entry employee. Nobody knows who he is until they do. Right? He takes off the disguise. And this is what Jesus does. Right? He's, he takes over. He takes charge. Tim Keller says this, that you don't go into a house and start rearranging the furniture unless you own it. Jesus owns this. This is what he's saying. This is what Jesus is stepping into. So back to the fig tree. Jesus went to the fig tree, finding nothing on it, right? Only leaves. And he said, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. Jesus judges the fruitlessness and forever makes it barren. He judges the fruitlessness of the tree and forever makes it barren. In a moment, Jesus sets permanent what the tree is already expressing. He just freezes it in its fruitlessness. He makes permanent, right, this moment. And the warning, right, there's a warning that begins to come to us, right? It wasn't meeting needs. It wasn't producing fruit. It wasn't ready. It wasn't ready. It reminds me of, uh, in our home, how we tend to clean house. And, and we, we clean at a certain level depending on who's coming over, right? Does that, does that work for your house too? So when Jennifer's Aunt Donna comes to town for a few days, uh, we're mopping floors, all the beds are made. Uh, Jennifer's probably going to clean a baseboard or two. When my youngest son Tobin's friends come over, uh, we set out an extra Dr. Pepper and make sure his toilet's flushed. Like that's all, that's all that we're really, it's all that we're really thinking about. This being prepared, being ready, right? There's a certain readiness and preparedness that correlates with the significance of who it is of who's coming. And the fig tree and the temple weren't ready. The temple, the temple was, wasn't. It, 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 Jesus walks into the temple. He says, my father's house shall be a house of prayer. He begins flipping over tables, changing everything. And he's met with indignation. He's met with resistance. The fig tree wasn't ready either, which is fascinating to me because in Revelation 22, when the kingdom comes in full, when Jesus returns finally, and our home is with God in a new heaven and a new earth, Revelation 22 says the trees were producing continually in every season, month after month after month. The trees are being fruitful. What a fascinating thing. The tension gets created when we look at the New Testament and we realize the only people that were ready, the only people that recognized Jesus for who they were, were actually spiritual forces of opposition. The demons had no problem recognizing who Jesus was and his identity. But God's people, 
this fig tree created by its creator? Nothing, right? This is what we're going to see. The passage has this element of appropriate judgment from not being ready, from not looking, from not being prepared. It wasn't the season for figs, but Jesus still walks over and he expects to find something to eat. Have you ever, have you ever said this? It's just not a good season for me. Have you ever used that? Have you ever said something like that? Man, I know I should probably do that. I know that, you know, I, I should probably be more involved. I, I know that, you know, I, I should probably respond to God in some way right now, but it's just not a good season. It's, it's, it's too early. It's too late. I, I'm, I'm, I'm young. I'm a student. I'm getting married. I, I just got a kid. I, I just got a new job, Right? We, we use these seasons in our life as reasons not to respond, not to be ready, not to be prepared, right? We can be so busy, but we can be barren. And the warning of the fig tree and the turning over the tables in the temple says this, that your life, my life too, could be full of activity, but not, doing, not be doing what matters. That we could miss the purpose of our gatherings, of our own lives, to be ready to meet a need, to be ready to, to minister to those that are spiritually hungry, that you and I, that this gathering could become an irrelevant group of people because we're here, but we're not really doing and offering what our soul truly needs. What's most important? If you keep the fig tree and the temple together, you'll hear cautions about our gathering. Are we making access to the kingdom difficult? Could somebody come in and visit and be part of our, our group, our gathering, but we're using all this insider language. We, we make this thing confusing. Like it's all over the place. We're arguing finer points of doctrine, but we're not really talking about what's most important, what's a priority, what matters. Are, are, are we turned outward? Or is our outwardness about image? Is our outwardness about self-importance? Is our outwardness about success and accomplishment? We're outward in that we're very aware of how we look and how we appear, but we're not outward as if we are oriented towards others. Are we, are we burning people out? Can you be part of church for a while? And after a while, you just think, I'm exhausted. Listen, it's great to be a Christian and be tired. It's wonderful to put your hands to good, purposeful work and at the end of the day, be tired. That's a wonderful feeling. But are we giving people just a new system of works righteousness? Are we talking about this free acceptance that you have because of what Christ did for you? But once you're in, man, you need to do, you need to do, you need to perform. If you're going to hold on to that acceptance, then you need to get busy doing, sacrificing, giving. We bog each other down. Could we burden each other? Are people burning out around us? Wondering, right? Wondering over the smallest details of their lives now, whether they're okay with God or not, not stepping into this new embodied life of justice and mercy and faith as free people. Jesus' protest in the temple was more than just a, a protest against commercialization in the church. It's so much more than just selling T-shirts in the lobby. That's not what it's about. When Jesus sets this protest, he's saying something. He's protesting something far deeper. And what he's saying is it's, it's every place and every person that has power and influence but does not think about how their power and their influence touches other lives towards God or moves them away from God. 
It's every person, it's every place that has power. It's when you and I, when our lives begin to gain influence and wealth, do they turn inward or do our lives get more generous? And Jesus is making a statement as he speaks to this fig tree and he pauses the activities in the temple. He's saying that every institution is on notice. Every person, every place, every political party is on notice. That if you live within a certain way, where you are no longer meeting needs, where you are no longer caring about people, where you're no longer dealing with the most spiritual, the heart issues, right? Then it's a notice that the old, corrupt, self-absorbed systems are on a time limit. They're ending. And Jesus will die to make sure they die. So Jesus looks at the temple and the tree. They weren't ready. They weren't meeting the needs of the world. They weren't feeding the hungry. They were kind of beckoning people with false advertising and he judged it. And the moment he judged it, the tree withered and the disciples were like, what just happened? They were amazed. And Jesus says this in verse 21. Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Listen to this. Jesus is contrasting something here. He's contrasting religious activity and real faith. He's contrasting a people that kind of bear the name of God, but they do it without prayer, without faith, without forgiveness. Jesus is saying, he says, if anyone says to this mountain, right, this mountain, What mountain is he talking about? What has been the backdrop of this whole passage? He's talking about the temple mount. If anyone says to this mountain, right, he's speaking to the temple mount. He's not talking in kind of exaggerated hyperbole. He's not just saying, what's your mountain? If you just believe enough, if you just have faith enough, right, you can just kind of move it into the sea. That's not what this passage is about. Jesus is saying something very specific. It's not about, hey, if things are just hard, just believe even more. Have faith and anything can happen. That's not what he's saying. He says, if you believe in what Jesus has come to do, if you have faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, as the Messiah, if you believe in that, right, then this fig tree and even this mountain will end. Throwing something into the sea was an act of judgment, These things are going to be judged. And when you and I bear the gospel, when we believe the gospel and bear the gospel, not only do we bring grace, love, forgiveness, but we actually bring judgment. We actually bring things to a point of decision. We actually come to points of reckoning. And when we share the gospel that there is a true king and it's Jesus and it's not you. And when we share the gospel that there is love and grace through Christ's sacrifice, not through your sacrifice, There's nothing that you can do. There's a certain judgment that begins to fall on there where you either receive Christ as your Lord and Savior and know the grace and forgiveness and mercy that's there or you find yourselves judged. I'm going to do it myself. I believe in me. I'm going to do my own thing. And this is what Jesus is saying. Real prayer was missing in the temple. My father's house will be a house of prayer. 
Jesus is saying that there's something so much more dynamic and powerful in faith and in real prayer than anything that you could have done to achieve your acceptance with God before. In any offering you could have made, in any sacrifice that you might bring, what Jesus is going to do is going to be so significant that real faith and real prayer are going to have power now like they never did before because... Jesus stops all the priestly activity in the temple in that moment because he's the high priest. Jesus overthrows all the tables exchanging money because he's the one with infinite worth. Jesus puts the whole sacrificial system on notice because he is the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. His sacrifice will be once for all and for all time. It's through him. It's through Jesus. And this is what he's saying. Like, if you believe this, if you have faith in what I'm doing, oh man, if you'll just have confidence and courage in what's happening through me, oh, the things that you'll see, the things that God will do. Paul said it this way in Galatians 2.20, the life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. And it's this, coming back to it again and again in the New Testament to Jesus of who he is, what Jesus has accomplished. And if you trust in Jesus and you know that what he did is better than anything you could have ever done when it comes to your relationship with God, then you become new. But if you are still trusting to find your acceptance through some achievement, through some good thing, through some sacrifice, then you are holding on to a withered fig tree. Holding on to something that's time has passed. You're holding on to something that's been judged as inadequate. But if you hold on to Christ, if you, if you realize that he took the cross for you, then believing in him and his sacrifice for you, then all of a sudden his obedience, his righteousness, his performance is something that you become a beneficiary of. What a fantastic message. That's the gospel. That's why it's good. But the question for us this morning, as we begin to wrap up, is don't don't wait to respond. Don't wait to respond to Jesus until it's a good season, until the time is right, until you feel ready. Because there's a temporariness about our lives. And the great caution I see in this passage is that at some point, what your life is gets set. Is your life expressing faith in Christ? Is your life producing fruit? This is wonderful because Jesus wants it to. Do you hear that? Jesus isn't interested in your life being busy but barren. He loves you more than that. He's far more interested in your life being fruitful. That's what he's come to do. That's why from the fig tree to the temple, he is taking something that was never going to take you all the way. And he is completing it, setting it aside so that now in Christ, you might really have life. You might really know prayer. Your life might truly have faith set in the perfect place of Jesus. Here's what I want to close with this morning. Where is your life still being fruitless? What withered fig trees are we still holding on to? Are you holding on to that are never really going? What are you believing is important? And what would it look like to to move that belief and solely rest it upon the person and work of Jesus? Let's pray. God, this morning, 
I pray just in these next few moments, you would help us ask and by your spirit answer this question. God, am I holding on to anything fruitless? God, is there anything in my life that you would just begin to direct me to that misses, misses the person and work of Jesus. It misses, it misses the world that's looking and hungry. God, would you show us those places, God, that we are, those things that we're holding on to, and would you let them wither? I mean, just before our eyes, God, just let us see them truly for the absence of life and satisfaction and purpose that they have. And then let us see Jesus. Let his life, let his work, let let his sacrifice and death, let let his resurrection, let, let his coming again, let his kingdom be something that begins to just stir within our hearts, reshaping everything. God, thank you that you don't want us to be fruitless. That Jesus said, if you'll connect your life to mine, my life is gonna flow into yours and you are going to bear fruit. Our lives are meant to produce. Our lives are meant to be amazing. Our lives are meant to bring glory to God. And in the areas, God, where we're still trying to appease you or please you or work to our own achievements or somehow strive to self-advancement and self-importance, God, let it wither. Let it wither. God, thank you that you give us something so much better than being busy, so much better than being just active. So open up our lives to Jesus today. Jesus, just come in, do a work in each heart. And I pray that there'd be a, this would be the day of responding, that today would be the day of salvation, that we not wait. If we can trust you with our heart, our life, our future, I'd give you our sin and see it on the cross and replace it with your righteousness. And then God, let that happen today in each heart. May we make decisions for you. May we receive you as our Lord and King. And it's in your name.